You know, we're still in the beginning of the year. We're at the last day, the first month of the year. So we're all in the same boat as far as the time frame here. And maybe you've gotten a handle on this new year and it's underway real well. Or maybe you find yourself still trying to, to get going. You know, I find that when it comes to uh, the new year, everybody seems to love to celebrate the new year, but no one wants to start it. And, and so sometimes there's a challenge. It said that a vast number of people make New Year's resolutions, but only 8% of people actually keep those. Now, I find a, a challenge going into the holiday period, and I am very emotionally charged during the holidays, and, and I enjoy that time frame, and I, and I enjoy riding the wave of the festive emotions. But as January rolls around, I find myself having to uh, rebound from the crash of having to restart a new year. And, and now experts tell us that there's a very real uh, a, a phrase, a term for that. So it's not just in our heads that if you struggle with the new year and the grogginess of coming out of the, all the swirling emotions of the holidays, the term is called social jet lag. And, it, and, and, you know, I think there's a term for everything. But, you know, when you've slept late and taken time off, enjoyed parties, overeaten, played with toys, enjoyed new gadgets, and now it's time when the new year rolls around to leave that the holiday Disney world and that we've been living in return to the real one. And you realize just how dog dead tired you are. Holidays are over. You've been going 90 miles an hour and and maybe even here at the end of the first month, you feel like there's really nothing left in your tank. It's time to refuel. Or if you have a car like Micah's, recharge. And so, um, and that's really the thought of this series I want to get into. We start tonight and, and it'll be very uh, intermittent because of uh, different things going on and different interruptions before I finish this. But I'm looking at four different messages that would help us that, so that when we can continue this year, not having to get out of the, the grogginess of last year and just let the year pull us along, but that we can face the year with control over it under the control of God versus being controlled by the calendar itself. Now, when it comes to this year of 2024, there's one thing we have no control over. And that is, it could very well be our last one. There could be someone right now who saw the new year in, but may not see the new year out. It may not be the oldest ones. It could be any one of us. Death is certain. Death is imminent. Jesus could also come back before this year's out. We have no control over these aspects, but we, we do have control while we don't over uh, whether or not we make it through this year, we can control whether or not it is our best year. And I fully believe that. In Athens, Greece, there are statues everywhere. Anyone ever been to Athens? And you would recognize that the statues, almost seemingly that there's many statues as there was population at one time. They just had a plethora of statues. And one man who lived in Athens 
hundreds of years ago, wrote that at one point there were more statues than people. There was a statue called Opportunity. It was a statue of a person with long flowing hair in front of their face, but completely bald in the back. And the idea behind that, like so many of them, there were, there, it was a picture. It was, a, it was making a point. It was an illustration. And the idea behind that picture was that you could grab it when it's coming towards you, but you could never get a hold of it once it's passed. That's opportunity. We should treat a new year just like that, another opportunity from God. You can grab it the day before you, but you, once it's passed, it's gone. You can't take back tomorrow. We should make the best of every day, every week, every month, and every year. And to do that, we need to refuel or recharge, which begins with ensuring that we're ready for each day. So tonight, beginning with tonight, I'm going to share with you over the next several weeks four things that will unequivocally recharge you, revive you, re-energize you, not just to experience life or endure life, but to really enjoy life with God. And it begins with what is the most important thing anyone can do if they want to make the most of every new day that you live. And as I look back on my life, I can say unequivocally, second time I've used that word, that the greatest single thing we can do is read the Bible daily. And I want to, if I'm trying to figure out how to rephrase or phrase or uh, package this, this thought for these next few weeks. And, and tonight I'm just going with, I'm calling it revival after the revival. Revival after the revival. Anybody sinned since the revival? Sure. Anybody have any struggles since revival? Anyone found that the devil didn't leave you since revival? And so we can have revival even after the revival meeting. And I can testify that getting into God's word every day, it saved me from more heartache and given me more wisdom and protected me from more mistakes, infused um, me with more comfort, and provided me with more encouragement than any other single thing I've ever done. Now, before I go any further, I want you to get honest with yourself and that we get honest with each other. If you're not in the habit of listening to what God says every day and letting God speak to you daily, then one of the following statements and thoughts must be true. If you're not in the Word daily, then you believe that your body is more important than your soul. Or you believe that the physical and the material are more important than the spiritual. Or you believe that you can make it on your own and do life by yourself and you don't need God's help. Or... You believe what God has to say is just not that important. Now, if you've come up with another reason, let me know. 
But if you deny believing any of those things, then I have to ask you, why would you not daily get into the Bible? I want to ask you tonight to turn to Psalm 100 and verse, uh, Psalm 119. We're going to look at just a few verses tonight as we're making this, this uh, helpful application so that we can have revival even after the revival. Now, here's a few interesting facts about Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And I don't know who he was who wrote it, but there are significant things that we find in this chapter. It is found almost in the middle of the Bible. The longest chapter in the Bible, and basically the entire chapter is all about the Bible. The psalmist takes 176 verses to motivate us to get into the Bible and to get the Bible into us. The theme of this psalm is the Word of God. Every verse except five verses, and even they, I still question um, this to be entirely true, but every verse except five, many agree, that um, refers to God's Word in some kind of way, a a synonym of God's Word. It, It talks about what it is, what it can do in your life. Every verse except five, and I think I'm even suspect of those five, because I, 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 this entire chapter is about the Word of God. The writer had a great love for the Word of God and was persecuted because he loved and obeyed God and he opposed sin. Most of the verses are either prayers for God's help or affirmations of the writer's faith in God's truth despite difficulties. So if you're struggling and you have difficulties, even after experiencing revival, well, you're in good company. You're right here with the psalmist. Meditating on this psalm, it ought to make you love and treasure the word of God more. It ought to provoke you to obey God more willingly. And like the psalmist tonight, I want to do everything in my power to motivate you to fill your tank or recharge your batteries with God's word every day. And all it takes would be three simple steps. And these are simple. Notice if you would in Psalm 119, let's just begin our reading in verse number one. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. He starts out with the two words starting these two verses. Blessed, blessed or happy. Blessed are the the undefiled in the way. Happy are those that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. 
I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Look tonight with me, three steps. Number one, look at verse 18. He says, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's a great prayer, by the way. Let's say that verse together. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. It's a great verse to pray before you ever open your Bible or when you open your Bible. It's a great verse to pray when you go into Sunday school class. It's a great verse to pray before you go in to hear the preaching of God's word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So first tonight, look to the Bible. Look to the Bible. One thing the Bible has in common with every other book Every book that has been written, one thing the Bible has in common with every other book that has been written is, it is useless if it stays closed. You can have a treasure chest full of gold and silver, but it doesn't really do much unless it's open and it's access. So the psalmist says, open thou mine eyes that I can look, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know, there are more Bibles in print today than ever before. There are more Bibles in more people's homes and hands and vehicles than ever before. And yet the vast majority of people who say they believe in the Bible and love God, the God of the Bible, they're suffering from a spiritual anorexia. They're starving to death from a spiritual malnutrition. There are treasure troves of truth in God's word. He calls them wondrous things, boxes full of priceless jewels waiting to be mine. God wants us to open our eyes, look at them, and to do that, you must read your Bible. I want to challenge you with this thought. There is no day in your life that you do not need to hear from God. There's not. There's no day that you don't need God. There's no day that you don't need to hear from God. There's no day in your life that you do not need to hear from God. There's no day in your life that you do not need to listen to God. The best place to be is in God's presence. The best way to get into God's presence is to get into God's word. Amy Carmichael said, never let good books Take the place of the Bible. Drink from the well, not from the streams that flow from the well. See, when God set up the requirements for a good king, he gave these instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 19. And one of the instructions was that the king was required to make a personal copy of God's law in his own handwriting, and he was to keep it on him wherever he went. Now, that'd be like telling the president of the United States to write out a handwritten copy of the Constitution and to carry it with him everywhere he went and read it and would read it daily. Come to think of it, that's not a bad idea. I think that would be actually a good idea. That would, it really loses um, 
the, the emphasis I was going to make on the illustration. That's a, that's a great idea, actually. But if God required that of the king, who is the most powerful man in the land, the most influential in the entire nation, how much more does God require that of you and me? If a king needs to hear from God to rule a nation, we need to hear from God to rule our life. I can tell you from personal experience, when you open this book and then you open your eyes to this book, God will open up principles and precepts and practices that will enhance you, enrich you, and enable you to go beyond your imagination. Ephesians 3.20, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He can bring you satisfaction and happiness beyond your imagination, but you must look to the Bible. I wish I had known that before I got married, people would say. I wish I had known that before I had children. I wish I had known these truths before I drew my first paycheck. I'd hear those kinds of statements after preaching a message, after discussing truth, and, and hear over and over. I wish I had known that before. Now, there's a certain sense where, where if we're on a journey, God illumines us. But, but I want to say so often, it's always been there. It, it, it was all right there before you. You didn't have to wait for me to tell you. God was ready to tell you if you just had looked to the Bible. It's not enough to look to the Bible, number one, but I want you to see number two. Notice in verse seven. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. When I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. Number one, look to the Bible. Number two, learn from the Bible. Learn from the Bible. Let me say, when you quit learning, you quit living. There are always new truths to discover. You'll never know it all. There's no greater resource to learn life lessons than can be learned from the Word of God. One of the reasons why you always need to be continuously learning from God's Word is because it is all truth. And it's always true. In a day in which truth seems relative, in a dark and chaotic, confused society that we live in, God's given us something that is light, something that is all truth and always true. God has lessons in this book about how to have a strong marriage, how to be a good husband and a good wife, how to raise our children, how to be wise parents, how to manage our finances well, uh, how to find the right kind of friend and be the right kind of friend, how to handle enemies and deal with conflict. And the truth is, the thousands of years that the Bible's been helping people with this, it still works today. They worked 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was upon this earth and they work today and they'll work 2,000 years from now because his word, John 17, 17, is truth and it's always true. This book is so great and the truths in it are so life-changing that they will not only help you learn how to live, but they'll help you learn how to die. 
We need as God's people to be able to show how to live well. And if you can learn to live well, you can show people how to die well. Psalm 119, verse 33, the psalmist said, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. What did he mean by keep it to the end? To the end of what? To the end of life. You'll find as you grow older, you'll think more about dying. When you realize that there's less rope toward the end than you had at the beginning, and when you see how quickly that rope is passing through your hands, you start thinking about the day when there is no more rope. And you don't have to be bothered with that. If I happen to get to the point when I'm lying on my deathbed and the doctors and nurses have made it plain there's nothing else that can be done, I want a word from the the God of the word that I'm about to meet. He satisfied my soul when I had strength and he'll satisfy my soul when I have no strength. I hear often kids and grandkids who are interested in their parents or their grandparents will. But I can tell you what every saved parent ought to be consumed with and that is being more interested in God's will. I want when I get to the end of my life to have had a life filled with the lessons I learned from looking at God's word that will be more valuable to any of my uh, 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 family tree or those around me. May I get personal for a moment? You know, there are times when people leave a church and they'll visit and, and, um, and I'll ask why they're leaving their other church and they'll say something like that. Well, I'm just not getting fed. It's probably the one that's used most often. I want, to, I want you to hear me clearly. I want to feed you spiritual meat when you walk into this building. I try to keep my messages as full of the Bible and as close to the Bible as I possibly can. But if you're depending upon me for your spiritual feeding, I think I've got to push back on that a little bit. Our three children learned to feed themselves when they were just toddlers. I've fed them. Christy fed them for a little while. We always had a goal to get the fork out of our hands and get it into their hands. And if you're not being fed, that's not any pastor's fault. Not if you have a Bible. Primarily, that's your fault. As a pastor, I am commanded to feed the flock. But if your feeding is only on church services... You're struggling. My feeding you through the preaching and the teaching is no substitute for your feeding at mealtimes outside of church. It's not my responsibility to feed you every moment. Ultimately, it's your responsibility to cultivate your appetite and to live daily on His Word. When you come in here to hear the Bible preached and taught, it is my responsibility to feed you through the preaching and teaching. But you do have more meals outside of here, don't you? A man by the name of Howard Hughes. I don't know if anyone recognizes the name. At one time, he was the richest man in the world. He died in 1981. And when he died, he was being cared for in those last stage of his life around the clock. 
by 15 personal attendants and three doctors exclusively dedicated to him. He had the best health care that money could buy. Do you know what killed him? Malnutrition. He died thin, dehydrated, emaciated. It was basically a skeleton despite all of those attendants, doctors, and being the richest man in the world. How could it happen? Well, he got so obsessed and fearful of germs that he would not eat food or drink water because he was afraid it might kill him. And rather than risk getting germs from food, he just quit eating. And if you don't eat, your body will starve to death. But it's even more true in your spirit and in your soul. Matthew 4 and verse 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. You know, I've read that just like you have many times. And I think just in recent years, I begin to finally see what Jesus is saying. You know, you know what I think he's saying? I think he's saying exactly and literally what he said. You can physically survive on physical food alone, but you cannot truly live apart from feeding on the Word of God. We must look to the Bible. We must learn from the Bible. Number three. You still with me? Look at verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Let me give you a third thought. Not only must we look to the Bible, learn from it, but number three, live out the Bible. Live out the Bible. You can love the Bible. You can look at the Bible. You can listen to the Bible. You can learn from the Bible, but it will not change your life until you, by faith, trust and obey and live out the Bible. James's, uh, James's brother, or Jesus' brother, half-brother James wrote, James 1.22, But be ye, what's the word? Doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Don't just be a hearer, he says. Be a doer. You see, too often we want to claim the promises of the Bible. We want to enjoy the blessings of the Bible. We want to draw comfort from the Bible. But it seems too many don't want to obey the commandments of the Bible. It's not enough to listen to the Bible as you're riding down the road. It's not enough to listen as you read it to yourself. It's not enough to listen as it's being preached. You know that the Latin word, when it says, be ye doers and not hearers only, the Latin word for hearers gives us our English word, audit. Audit. You want to ever audit a class? I have. I've audited a class. When you audit a class, you get the information for the class. But if you don't do the homework and you don't do anything with what you've learned, you don't get any credit for the class either. But the same thing is true spiritually. You can get all the information. You can be the best on the Bible quiz team. You can memorize half the Bible. 
You can look at the Bible. You can learn from the Bible, and you should. But you don't get credit for that until you practice it and trust it and obey it and live it out. You've got to obey it before it really becomes the power in your life. And it should give you the power. It is a life-changing, powerful book. That's why you should really be honest with yourself and ask this question. Ask, what has the final say in my life and how I live it when I'm cornered? When my back is up against the wall, what has the final say? When I'm forced to face reality, when my back is up against the wall, I'm in a crisis, what is it that has the most authority and the final say? When I've got to decide in a given situation, who or what is going to call the shot in my life? Is it going to be Hollywood who decides what my sexual morality should be? Will Wall Street decide our attitude toward money? Or is the government and what it says now as to what's legal or illegal going to determine what you think is right or wrong? Or are you going to make up your mind that you're going to live your life not based on Oscar-winning actresses, what they say, or what some powerful politician might say, or what some financial guru says, but what God says. As a Baptist, what makes us Baptist is the Bible is our authority. One man wrote a book entitled, our final authority. My one problem with that is, it's not my final authority, it is the authority. It's our authority for what we believe and what we do. What does God say? Look to the Bible to be safe. Learn from the Bible to be wise. Live out the Bible to be holy and blessed. I'm gonna ask all of us to unite and join in this matter of consuming the Bible, getting into the Bible. Many are, have read the Bible through each year, or, or you, you've at least read the Bible daily. Many have had a goal to read it through in the year, and some are reading it through multiple times in a year. Maybe some in here have never read the Bible all the way through. You can but instead of just setting the goal, I'm going to read through it all, just decide to read it daily. Eat daily. Feed on the Word of God daily. You know, you can read the New Testament in 18 hours and 20 minutes on an average reading. Just 18 minutes a day, you can get through the New Testament in two months. And you can... Read it just a little bit more and just do it five days a week and, and not do it on the weekend if, if it makes a difference in your schedule. The point is, I would do something daily, no matter how small it is. Now, this is important. I don't want you to simply look at your Bible and learn from your Bible. I want you to ask God to help you live it out. That's why we had some testimonies that we've had here in the last couple of services because people are living out the truth that God has confronted them with. Dr. Bart Herman, 
He's been recognized as a distinguished professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He was very popular in certain circles because once he had claimed to be an evangelical Christian. He was educated at two very conservative, loosely conservative Christian colleges. And um, I wouldn't necessarily categorize them that way, but evangelicalism would. But by the time he graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary, he abandoned the faith. He became an agnostic and a great critic of evangelical Christianity and the Bible. Dr. Herman told in his book uh, entitled Jesus Interrupted, Revealing the Hidden Contradictions in the Bible. He told how he would begin his university classes. I want you to listen to what he says. I want to read you the excerpt. He said, the first day of class with over 300 students present, he said, I ask, how many of you would agree with the proposition that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And he says, whoosh, virtually everyone in the auditorium raises their hand. I then ask, how many of you, how many of you um, have read one or more of the Harry Potter books? And he says, whoosh, the whole auditorium. Then I ask, how many of you have read the entire Bible? And he said, out of 300, just a few scattered hands here and there. And he says, I always laugh and I say, okay, I'm not saying that I think God wrote the Bible. You're telling me that you think God wrote the Bible. I can see why you might want to read a book by J.K. Rowling. But if God truly wrote a book, wouldn't you want to see what he had to say? I agree with Dr. Herman. Why wouldn't you? Why shouldn't we? Why don't we? If you want to have revival, even after revival, we need to get into the book, look to it, learn from it, so that we can ultimately live it. Let's stand together, please.